A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome to the Tired Mummy Podcast, a safe platform where we can openly discuss the highs and lows of parenthood, judgment-free. Join me in authentic conversations with mums and dads from across the globe. Let's help each other feel less alone, let's grow and feel better in our parenting skin together. Come join our tribe while we get into some real talk. And don't forget, bring your coffee. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Alice Lanesbury, and you're listening to episode number 21. Welcome to the last episode of season one. I cannot believe I'm at 21 episodes and at the end of a season, I'm so excited to bring you more epic guests in season two. I've got some really cool changes coming, so I'm really excited to launch that in a couple of weeks. I'm going to take a little break, Um, but yeah, I hope you're all having a great day. Thank you for joining me today. I'm really excited to bring you Nikki. She is from Wisdom from Working Mums. Nikki is an executive coach supporting high-achieving women in combining careers in motherhood in a more successful and sustainable way. That sounds pretty epic to me. Now, I actually came across Nikki when I was on the internet looking for some answers, I suppose, um, and I found her blog, Becoming a Mum Without a Mum. And the way she wrote about her experience deeply resonated with me. And I just knew that we needed to talk about this on the podcast. So the title of the episode speaks for itself. We're talking about becoming a mum without a mum. 
Before we dive in, if you love this episode, please don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. It's super quick and it's super easy and it helps support me and my little family. All right, let's get started. Hello, Nikki, and welcome to the podcast. I am so, so grateful to have you on the show. I always kick off the episode asking the same question. So could you please let the listeners know a little bit about you and what's one piece of parenting advice you wish you'd never listen to? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, so yeah, my name's Nikki. Thank you so much for inviting me onto your podcast. I'm a mum of two children. I've got a boy who's nine years old and a little girl that's four years old. Um and I'm married. I live in the centre of the UK near a, um, a city called Birmingham, but I live out in the countryside. And um, professionally, I've been an executive coach and leadership coach for coming up for 17 years. And it was only with my own challenging journey into motherhood that I realised that more women needed support in motherhood particularly when they were trying to combine their career in motherhood so um just over four years ago I set up a division of my business called wisdom for working mums and I really help women combine work life and motherhood in a more successful and sustainable way without sacrificing their sanity or well-being in the process I think for me the advice was that being a mum is the most natural thing in the world Mm. because at times it has felt far from that. And I think that piece of advice for me meant that when I struggled or I didn't know the answer, um, that I was somehow not good enough, that there was something wrong with me. So whilst from a nature perspective and procreation, it's been around for millennia, I think the actual role of mothering in the paradigm of motherhood that we live in in our society at the moment, I think is far from natural in terms of the expectations and what we see on social media. And, you know, yeah, for me, that was probably the most unhelpful advice because I made myself wrong in the process when it didn't feel natural and easy. Mm, I'm guessing you are definitely not alone in that experience. It's a very strange world to parent in at the moment. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. Well, today I wanted to talk to you about becoming a mum without a mum. I really resonated with a blog you wrote on this topic. There was a quote in particular you wrote that really struck me and that was, the grief of not having your mum around isn't limited to losing her through death. And these words really led me to feel that I was allowed to grieve because I almost didn't feel worthy of grieving because I didn't lose my mum through death. So I just wanted to thank you for those words. Um, I know that there's so many mothers walking this motherless path. So can you please share with us some of the hardest moments for you not having your mum around? Yeah, and I think... To set the context, I'd lost my mum in 2005. She died really suddenly, really unexpectedly. And I actually had the, I want to say the gift. I don't know if it is, that's the right word. But I ended up, at the time I was on holiday in the Maldives when she died. And it was 24 hours before we could get a flight home. So I was sitting in absolute paradise, coming to terms with really the worst news that I'd ever experienced in my life at that point and so it enabled me kind of deep reflection in those 24 hours really asking the questions you know what is life about what am I doing 
And I came back and decided to hand my notice in. I'd got a big corporate job at the time. I was got this big high-flying career. And I decided to hand my notice in and I took a year out. So I had a year of really leaning into my grief and I, you know, deeply grieved for it. And I felt privileged that I had the time and the space to do that because it was prior to having my children. So I'd really gone on a journey with my grief. So fast forward to 2013 when I had my first child, I really thought that I'd done my grieving. Yes, there were times where I felt sad and, you know, there were days where it would hit me unexpectedly, but I felt in quite a good place in terms of coming to terms with my mum's death. And I was at a really great place in my life, professionally, personally, and it just felt, you know, great time to be entering into the journey of motherhood. So when my first child was born, Actually, through my pregnancy, I didn't feel the grief particularly. Yes, I was sad that she wasn't going to be there to meet my baby and sad that she wasn't around, but it just felt that kind of normal underlying grief that I would have, you know, most days. Mm. But it was when my first child was born, it kind of hit me it and it hit me like a sledgehammer and I just wasn't prepared for it. And I'd actually had a really good friend who'd lost her mum years before. And she'd said when she became a mum, she warned me, she said, you know, becoming a mum without your mum, it will hit you. And I remember hearing that and thinking, no, I don't think it will. You know, it just, I, I just was naive, I think. Mm. Um, and so it hit me really unexpectedly, literally, I think in those first couple of days. And I think what I hadn't anticipated was how vulnerable I was going to feel mum the uncertainty, the just physically how vulnerable I felt that the actual birth had been quite challenging. And um, yeah, then having this newborn that I just had no idea what to do with. And I, it, it just, it was a very visceral response in terms of my grief. It wasn't necessarily an emotional level. It was just kind of in my body. And then over the coming weeks, that grief really, really built. And it's really difficult to, to extract because um, my son ended up being quite ill and we were in and out of hospital that first year. So I was particularly vulnerable and I'd got a particularly vulnerable child. So I think that level of grief then was layered in mm. because... I, up until that point, would be very strong and independent. That's naturally who I am. Personality-wise, I don't feel like I need a lot of help, whereas times I probably do, but don't admit it to myself. But I think that journey into motherhood cracked me open in terms of you can't miss alone. It doesn't matter how strong and independent you're trying to be. You need that village around you mm. and you need maternal figures. And so I've lost my mum, but actually... um, my mum's family all live away. They don't live locally. So I hadn't got that maternal type of figure in my life. And I've got an amazing mother-in-law who was brilliant, but actually she's very practical. She's not necessarily the most um, embedded in her maternal energy. So while she was a great support, it wasn't actually what I needed at that point. So just everything from all of the questions that I've got about what what motherhood is and is this normal for a baby and actually what was I like as a baby and did my mum feel the same and just trying to make sense of this new world that I was entering into I hadn't realized how much I'd need my mum to help me make sense and not having her around 
kind of made that even more disorientating, which then kind of opened up this new well of grief that I just hadn't anticipated would be there. Yeah, you just want to pick up the phone and ask all of the questions. Mm, yeah. Or just so. have someone hold you like you're holding your child. Yeah. Totally. And that was the bit that really surprised me because as I say, even as a young child, I've always been very strong and independent and hadn't felt like I needed a lot of mothering. And I had an amazing mum who just knew the distance she needed to be to be supportive enough, but not smothering. So she, she looking back, I didn't realise at the time she navigated that beautifully. So I hadn't actually realised how much mothering I'd needed. I was like, no, I'm strong, independent. I, you know, I've got myself together. And yeah, and I remember reading a book by um, Clarissa, I think it's Pinkart, who around uh, wrote a book called um, Women Who Run With the Wolves. And it's all about the journey of being a woman through from young girl through to kind of um, an older woman. And she actually writes that when you become a mum, you become a child mother and you need elderly or elders around you that help teach you to become a kind of grown mother. And I remember reading that in that book and go, ah, that was it. I was a child mother. I was new. I needed, I needed my elders around me to help guide me and shape me in that role. And I, I hadn't anticipated that. And I think I, I really, really missed that and had to consciously start to create that. And I hadn't, you know, knowing what I know now, I would have done that much earlier before yeah. I gave birth. I had to kind of do it retrospectively, which was more difficult. Mm, you just you need all that inner wisdom that's you know been before you and passed down to you and unfortunately Google isn't the same yeah <laughs> like massively. I feel like a lot of mothers these days don't have especially motherless mothers they don't have that plus they don't have village and they're going to the internet to find all the answers and it's not helpful yeah <laughs> we really do so. need those those elders, those aunts, you know, the grandmothers. Yeah. How did you move through your grief after your birth? I think I moved through it quite slowly um, and kind of was a lot of the time in that first year in survival mode. So there was like this whole background of grief, but kind of just having to get on and do the job in hand of being a mother. So that was really difficult because I didn't feel that I had the time and space to really make sense of my grief because you've got this little newborn that's completely dependent on you. So that felt difficult at times, particularly when I um, look at it in context of when my mum first died and how much time and space I had to really connect to my grief, understand it and work through it. So it felt more difficult because actually I almost had to put my needs to one side to focus on the needs of my my child so at times it felt like it was a very slow process because I hadn't got time to make sense of it or connect to it and and do it in a healthy way I suppose so I kind of just shoved it away and just kept moving forward of the day-to-day task of keeping a newborn alive and happy and all of the things that go along with being a mother and it's interesting because about nine months after I had my my first child, I started to get ill and I just picked up every cold going and I hadn't been that kind of person before. I'd always had quite a good immune system and I just get getting iller and iller and iller to the point that I went to my doctors and was like, you know, something's not right here. And they did a load of blood tests. I'm like, no, you're fine. You're just a new mum. All new mums are tired and get run down. 
And this went on for months and months to the point where I became that ill. I I just thought I'd got some rare condition that nobody would be able to know because I literally could feel it in every cell of my body. I was just exhausted. And by this point with my firstborn, actually, he was sleeping through the night by that point. My second didn't do that, but my first was. So I was like, I'm not tired from lack of sleep. I might be tired from lack of rest, but this level of tiredness isn't right. And I ended up finally uh, going down the private route and getting diagnosed with adrenal fatigue. So I'd literally burnt myself out. And I don't know how much of that grieving process was tied into that. As I say, I'd got a baby that was in and out of hospital. So it was it was a difficult first year in a number of different ways. But I definitely feel not having my own mum around really contributed to that because I didn't, I couldn't, I'd got nothing to lean into and just feel like somebody was holding me yeah. and just knowing I was trying to hold it all on my own shoulders, which of course you can't, that's just not possible. You need that system around you. And also just not having, I, a few years after I had my, my firstborn, I ended up training in something called systemic coaching, which is based on family systems theory. And the family systems theory is all about our maternal and paternal line and what's happened in those systems that informs how we show up. And it was only then when I realized actually how important it is to energetically just being able to lean into that. Mm. Um, it kind of, just as when you read that quote that I'd put about, it just made me feel validated. It was like, ah, it's not because I'm not strong enough. It's not because I, you know, wasn't, you know, digging in deep enough and just getting on with it. It's like, ah, we need this. It's just part of nature. It's, Mm. we need to feel that. So yeah, navigating that first year. And I, I would say it was the first probably three years. It wasn't limited to the newborn stage. Um, and I think it was only when I had my second child who I ended up having secondary infertility. So I didn't think I could have another child, had multiple miscarriages and ended up having my second child nearly five years later. And it was only at that point I feel that I actually healed myself because I was prepared and set myself up for that second pregnancy and beyond in a much different way. And I actually, yeah, it felt like more of a healing experience. The other, like my first child broke me open and it felt very disorientating. And, um, and so, yeah, that was very different. Yeah. So when you had your second child, did you think that you would grieve again or how did you navigate that? Yeah, I very much was prepared for it. And I think what I found with my own grief around my mother is that the times that I'm prepared, like Christmas Day, like Mother's Day, actually I'm more resourced to deal with it. It's the it's the, the random days that come and take me by surprise that mm. I would find more difficult with my grief. So I think definitely being psychologically prepared that, oh, this is probably going to be really, really difficult, made it less so. Mm. But I actually did some specific things. So I really built a village around me of people that could help from that maternal perspective. And I, what I realized was that nobody can replace my mum and nor should they. So recognizing that it's not up to my husband, it's not up to my mother-in-law to try and fill that void. They can't and they shouldn't. And if I recruit them into that position, it's really unhealthy. Mm. So knowing that there was going to be this space that would feel, that would feel like a void that like the grief would be there but then building people around me that could help support me. So I hired um, a postnatal 
postnatal doula after my second was born because I'd got a a very lively five-year-old that was going to be on school holidays when I was going to be giving birth so I was like actually coming home with a newborn and having a five-year-old that is very full-on my husband was going back to work after two weeks so I was like actually I'm going to need a few weeks of help so I hired somebody to come in two or three two days a week just for a couple of hours either that they would hold the baby while I had a bath or and actually what it turned out that I I needed was for her to go and play with my five-year-old so he would be occupied he had connection his bucket could be filled up with attention so I could focus on the newborn and I would never have even I wouldn't have thought a that even existed with my firstborn and even if it had existed I would never have given myself permission to do that I would be like that's my role as a mother surely that's what I should be doing but it made such a huge difference and I literally built kind of friends or hired people you know I did things like I had a cleaner come in twice a week I was like what do I need to feel like I can show up for my family and be the best I can and what are the roles I need around me so it gave me a huge amount of permission and I kind of had more conversations with friends about you know this I, I anticipate this is going to have I'm going to feel and this is what I might need from you um you know one of my friends brought me over food cooked some home-cooked food and brought that round another came around and filled my fridge and just all the things that my mum or a mother that we see in the traditional sense would have done and I really gave myself permission to ask for the help and receive it and I would never have done that the first time around so yeah those things really really helped and I had um I did a, a systemic session with the lady who trained me in family systems, the most beautiful kind of healing woman. I had a session with her in anticipation and we just talked through it. It was almost like a counselling session and just voicing that this is probably going to be difficult. What do I need to resource myself? What are the resources I need around me? And how do I lean into that energy, even if it's no longer around? Yeah. And that just did something in me. Yeah. So I think I just gave myself the compassion that that was what was going to happen and put in place what would help me feel cared for in that way so amazing so much wisdom and really good insight and helpful tools um it's going to help other mamas feel so much less alone Um, I think it's the great taboo that's not talking spoken about because I just it never even occurred to me and even when that friend had said to me a few years before I was just like well no why would I I've grieved you know I'm I'm at a different stage in my life and I think what was different with the grief when I became a mum compared to when I first lost her when I first lost my mum I was 28 I was living with my partner who's now my husband I'd got an independent life where I no longer was dependent on my mum in that way yes we had the most amazing relationship we spoke two or three times a day so I was connected to her but I didn't need her I just wanted her in my life whereas when I became a mum I actually needed her and that I had never anticipated like I was a grown woman why would I need my mum look yes I love her and I want her around but I wouldn't need her and I think we underestimate when we become mums how much we need to be mothered absolutely that's definitely something I wasn't anticipating either I mean there was a lot of things (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was (laughs) that was definitely one of them uh for any motherless mamas out there motherhood 
as we've just discussed, is not what we imagined it to be because we don't have that love and support around and we really have to try and reconcile that. Is there any advice or actions our mummers can take to help them on their path to healing? Yeah, I think there's there's two key aspects for me. The one is being able to mother yourself. And what I mean by that is a lot of the the women that I work with tend to be highly driven. They're highly successful. They've got where they've got to by really pushing themselves quite hard. And actually in that motherhood journey, it's not about pushing hard. It's being able to be compassionate with ourselves. Mm. And so being able to be kind and compassionate. And a lot of what compassion is about is, is two things, really. If you think about what a mother does to a crying crying child, they will use soothing, you know, we stroke or we pat. So it's using that actual physical soothing our nervous systems. And we use gentle tones, you know, they're there, it's okay, it's okay, you're doing your best. And so the first thing I would say is, what can you do around those two aspects to yourself? So using kind, gentle tones with yourself, you know, my word, this is difficult you are doing your best and I am so proud of you. And even as I say, that's making me feel upset because those are not necessarily yeah. <laughs> words we would use with ourselves. It's so true. So that mothering is being compassionate, showing ourselves a self-compassion by using gentle, soothing tone and words with ourselves. And, you know, if you're having that difficult day, just holding a heart and going, wow, this is hard, but you, you're doing your best. And, for me, what I found was I'm not very good at soothing myself. So I would actually book myself regular massage, regular reflexology, because that's literally touch is soothing and would soothe my nervous system and allow me to be kinder and gentle to myself. So if I hadn't got the mother that was doing that for me, I'd have to take the responsibility for doing that for myself and finding the ways that would allow me to do it. So that's the first piece is, you know, taking some self-responsibility about what can I do to mother myself? And then that second piece about looking around me to see how can I consciously choose a village Mm -hmm. that can support me, whether those be other family, other friends, knowing they're never going to be my mother and nor should they be. But what are the aspects that I might need to feel mothered and make that journey easier? Even if it is just somebody cooking me a home-cooked meal, running me a bath, you know, whatever it might be that a mother would do that says, come on, it's just go and have an early night. You are tired. There's nothing more you can do to make today better. Just go and have a good night's sleep. You know, those mothering kind of energies around us. So doing it for ourselves, but also consciously and intentionally creating that village that can help. Mm, so important. got quite emotional throughout this whole chat because... There's just so many great shares that you've shared with us today and I just know it's going to help so many mums and I just resonate, honestly, with every word that came out of your So I really just um, wanted to thank you so much for joining us today and I'm just so grateful for you coming on and talking about this super important topic. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And, you know, I think if there's one thing we can do with our 
own journeys, is help other people, just like you're doing with this podcast. You know, somebody once said to me, your mess is your message. And mm. I'm like, oh gosh, how true is that? You know, it's only often when we go through our painful moments that we feel compelled to help others. And so thank you for giving me the gift of doing that. Oh man, what an amazing chat that was. I was literally holding back tears the whole time. I'm not sure if it was because I personally could relate to everything that she was saying um, or what it was. She just, she is so maternal. She's just got this great vibe, this great energy. And I'm just so, so grateful to have connected with her. So if you resonated with Nikki and you would like to connect with her also you can find her at wisdom for working mums on instagram or wisdomforworkingmums.co.uk she has so many resources on her website so be sure to check it out thank you so much for joining me guys and thank you for getting me through my first season i'm honestly super grateful for every listen every share every review every subscribe if this episode was helpful to you please share it with a mama and yeah i am looking forward to seeing you for season two thank you so much until next time this tired mummy is signing out the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.